Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this ministry. Uh, you, you know uh, just how much I love this group of people. Um, but Lord, I know that you love them more. And so, uh, Lord, you know, I, 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 I preach your word as best I can. But only your spirit can call the hearts and the minds of the people in this room. I mean, no matter how much I love them, you love them more, and, and you desire to draw them into relationship with you. You desire to call them out f- further than they could ever imagine. You, you desire to make them leaders and to strengthen them and to encourage them in a way that I never could. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do your work this morning. And, Lord, if there are visitors here, if there are people who are unfamiliar with this ministry, this church, or with your word, Lord, I, I pray that you would open their eyes to what it is that you're doing. Uh, that this is not a special group of people. Uh, we are just, we just happen to be available. Uh, but Lord, you are special and your word is special and we just desire to glorify you and to lift up your word this morning. So please be with us and speak to us exactly the way that you would have us personally to hear your word today. Um, Lord, again, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with gratefulness. Be with us in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in Jonah. Okay, we've been in Jonah, and Jonah uh, is a book about a man who's rebelling against God. Now, why? Why is Jonah rebelling against God? Well, Jonah was a prophet, okay, and, and God had called him, he called his prophet to go and do a missional work to a people called the Ninevites. He wanted to send Jonah to go and warn the people of Nineveh of impending doom and judgment that was coming their way. In other words, this was such a wicked people in terms of their, their society that it was time for God to, to, to bring them down. And we know that God is not <laughs> below judging people, right? I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah is the, is the case in point. Like God is willing when a people has rebelled against them in such a way that he has no choice but to destroy them, he's willing to do that. That's our God. He desires justice that much and so he calls Jonah out he says Jonah hey you're the man you're going to go down to Nineveh and you're going to warn them because I desire them to repent you're going to warn them that my judgment's coming because God wants to give them a way out and Jonah refuses to do it okay Jonah refuses to do it now why why I mean that's a fair question why is it that Jonah does not want to do God's work. I mean, he's done God's work before. We see this, uh, we see testimony of Jonah doing the work of a prophet in other cases in Scripture. Why is it that he does not want to go to Nineveh and preach this message? Well, it comes down to this. The Ninevites were, uh, it was a, a, the largest, pro- probably the largest city in the world at this time, okay? And Nineveh was a part of Assyria, and Assyria was a very, very wicked nation, And the Assyrians had previously gone to war against the Jews and decimated them. And Jonah would have witnessed his people uh, being perpetrated against. 
war crimes against his people. Children, babies, women killed, raped. I mean, the Assyrians were not, they were above that. That's, that was part of their MO. And he would have seen and witnessed that. And for that, his heart was hardened. And so much so that when the word of God came to him, it would not take root. His selfish ways and his presumptions were greater than God's word for his life, and he let his selfishness reign. And so what did he do? He got on a boat, and he tried to flee from the will of God. And he set sail across the Mediterranean. Now here's the, here's the beautiful thing about the way that God treats his people. God was not willing that Jonah would rebel. God was not willing that Jonah would rebel. He saw, saw his child in rebellion, and he went after him. He went after him. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about this, but we talked about how God sent a storm into Jonah's life to call him to a place of repentance that he might find himself back in the will of God. And the storm, man, we talked about that. The storm didn't work in Jonah's life. The, the apathy was so great with him, and the indifference was so great that even in the midst of the storm, he could not hear the voice of God. He could not reckon rightly. He was, he was embedded in his selfishness. So then God prepared a whale. And so Jonah's cast overboard of this ship, and, and, and a whale swallows him up, and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of this whale. And in that place of difficulty, in that place of trial, in that place of, of knocking on death's door, he finds himself finally ready to repent. Okay. God used this whale in his life to prepare him for repentance. And so, the very first thing that I want to point out today is that when we repent, God is quick to forgive. So look at chapter 2, verse 9. You might need to turn the page back. Chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, we'll catch the very end of this prayer of repentance. That you, if you need to go back and catch up, all the audio is available, Okay. But, but what I want to point out here is <clears throat> this repentance prayer, the very end of it. Jonah calls out and he says, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. And I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, I want, to, I want to say real quick that that's true at the moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the day that you were saved. That's true, isn't it? But even for the child of God, every single day, salvation is of the Lord. Every single moment, every single trial, every single moment of suffering, every single uh, time that you doubt, salvation is of the Lord. He is ready and prepared. And listen to what it says. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. He set Jonah's feet back upon the dry land. Psalm 32, 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So Jonah stands forgiven. And over the last, I guess it's, I think it's been, this is message number eight of this series. We have in, in, invested a lot of time into the emotional depravity of, of Jonah. 
And what we've come to discover is that we're not that much different than Jonah. Is that we as Christians struggle with all of the same things that Jonah struggled with. I think, I don't know if it's this slide or the one back. But we, there's a list, there should be a list here, uh, a slide of all the things that we've talked about. There we go. Of all of the areas of our life where we need God to set us free. Because ultimately, the problem with our faith is a problem of the mind and the heart. And when we doubt in our mind, and when we struggle in our heart, we prevent God's work in our life, and selfishness gets in the way, and apathy gets in the way. And then we find ourselves on the run from God's will. And and all of these things, these things in our lives have been true, and maybe are true even right now. And what we need above all things is to repent is to practice a lifestyle of repentance, of self-critique, where we're looking at our lives and we're saying, God, where does my life not conform to Jesus Christ? Where is it? What area of my life? What, where is it that I'm keeping my life from obeying you? Lord, in, in what ways am I not pressing into you and following after you? In what ways am I holding myself back from leadership? I, God, I know that you're calling me to, to, to lead and to go further in my walk and to, and to lead other people as, as I follow you. How do I, how do I do that if my heart is against God? I need freedom. You might, you might say to yourself, well, I know that I need to join myself to a ministry. I know I need to call Midtown Baptist Temple my church, and I need to dive in headfirst. I, I know that's what I need, but... And you've got some sort of excuse, some sort of distraction, some sort of thing that gets in the way, a career or a relationship that gets in the way of you doing the thing that you know that God's called you to do. And suddenly you're in that place, just like all of us have been, where you're disconnected from God, you're apathetic to His will, and you're running from Him. You're isolated. And there's only one way of preventing that. And that is having a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so intimate. Every day you're considering how your life does not align with Jesus Christ. And to cry out for forgiveness. And to cry out in repentance. And God will be faithful to put you on dry land. So here's the thing I want to point out today, and this is what we're going to talk about. Is that we're not just forgiven, we're rectified. It's here in Jonah's story that we learn that God doesn't just relieve us of our iniquity. He reestablishes us for the work. See, God wants to replace our old purposes and our old ways of thinking with new purposes and new ways. It's not good enough to just cry out to God for repentance. We need Him to replace the old ways in our life with new ways. So key point number one, forgiveness and freedom. We've been doing all this talk about freedom and being set free from all these different aspects of our thought life and our emotion life, okay? We've talked about all these things, but forgiveness and freedom are no good unless they're a catalyst for change. Forgiveness and freedom are intended to produce faith for the mission, And this is why the word comes to Jonah a second time. 
In chapter 1, we saw the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's what we saw. He refused it. But at the moment of repentance, the moment where he recognized that he was out of line and that he had no choice but to obey God, God sets his, his feet on the dry land, and it says in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, And the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time. So here we are, point number 8 of our series. Okay, we've talked about freedom from a lot. What do we need freedom from? Now we talked about freedom by. Freedom comes through repentance. We've talked about freedom by repentance. And now here we are, free us for the mission. We're not freed for no reason. We're not forgiven for no reason. We're not saved for no reason. We are saved for a purpose. And that is why the Word of God comes to Jonah a second time. Now, now, a second time, we think to ourselves, I wouldn't give Jonah a second chance. I wouldn't do that. I mean, guys, look. Think about how calculated this man's rebellion was. Right? He travels south, all right, which would have been several days of traveling. He gets on a boat. He sets sail. I mean, we're talking about weeks of rebellion here. A storm comes and almost kills him. He acknowledges that the storm comes from God, and he's still unwilling to follow God. He's unwilling. Just throw me overboard and let me die. That's, that was his preference, y'all. Just throw me overboard, let me die, and let's just call this thing good. And it took living inside of a whale's belly for three days to convince him of his absolute need for God. I mean, I would say that at very best, from my perspective, Jonah needs an onboarding process before I entrust him with more ministry responsibility again. Right? Let's just let... This is what we would say around here. We'd say, okay, why don't you just chill, be faithful to coming on Sunday mornings for a while, uh, just get reacclimated to following Christ, focus on your relationship with God, and then we'll talk about whether or not, you know, you can do this or that again, right? That's how we would handle it. No, God actually uh, says, okay, you've been forgiven. Now let's get to work. So while as humans we struggle with forgiving, God is different than that. He desires to use every submitted servant regardless of their past. And I want that to soak in because I know that there's a lot of people in our ministry right now who are struggling or they're coming out of a season of struggling and maybe you feel like you've just been vomited up on dry land. Okay, that's cool. I get that. That's an exhausting place to be. But I want you to understand that if you allow yourself to sit there and say to yourself, I am not good enough. I am not qualified. Then you are then you are refusing the one thing that God has wanted for you from the very beginning, and that's to use you. So we know this. We know that this is who God is, that he, that he wants to use us because of how He used other people in Scripture. All right, so let's just, let's just briefly recap. Maybe you're unfamiliar with the Bible. But Moses wrote five books of our Bible. Moses was used to lead God's people out of the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. 
But, but Moses was a murderer. And, and his belly of the whale was 40 years in the wilderness. God uses weak and unqualified people, people who've screwed up, people who've been apathetic, people who've been selfish, people who've run away, people who've isolated themselves. That's who he wants to use, repent and be used. Jacob was a liar and fearful. Peter was a faithless hypocrite. The apostle Paul was also a murderer. And, was, and was, ultimately, he was being used by Satan to snuff out the church. See, like, what we have right here is the byproduct of the fact that God delivered Paul from snuffing out the church. And God used him. Warren Wearsby says this, Remember, God is more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is concerned more about who you are than about what you do? Do you believe that? God is more concerned about his workers than he is about their work. For if the workers are what they ought to be, then the work will be what it ought to be. Throughout Jonah's time of rebellion, God was displeased with his servant, but he never once deserted him. Never once. In fact, we could say that the main character in the book of Jonah is not Jonah, it is God. Because he is so ever-present. Do you believe that regardless of your weakness, that God wants to use you? And that his chief concern is drawing you to himself? Do you believe that? Because I'll, I'll say this, that, that if we recognize that, then the byproduct of that will, of that will only just be serving God. And that's been the point from the very beginning of studying Jonah, is that God is after Jonah's heart. So here's key point number one. God's love, is this key point number two? This is key point number two, my bad. God's love declares that regardless of past failure, He wants you on the team. That regardless of your past failures, He wants you on His team. Y'all remember kickball? In elementary school? Now some of you in the bro row are like, yeah, kickball. Because you know why you're like that? Because you got picked in the first round. <laughs> right? Others of us didn't. Do you remember what it was like to get picked last in kickball? Some of you are like, don't, you don't have to say it. Don't speak so loudly, Gabe. You don't want them to know. Because at some level, the rules of kickball draft still apply in like every aspect of our social interactions. So we want to... Okay? Um, but I want to say this. that In, in God, God's economy, there's one draft. And it comes by salvation and repentance. And the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's as good as though you were picked in the very first round. 
It's as good as if you were the best freaking player on the team. In God's economy, there isn't a Billy Graham, a Sam Miles, and then a lowly old me. That's not how it works. You are every bit as significant as any other Christian that has ever lived on the face of the earth. And I would dare wager that he wants to use you in just, with just as much equity and just as much value as he's used any other person that has ever lived. Do you believe that? If you see just how wicked and stupid Jonah is, and you see God reinstating him, then you better believe that he can do it for you. So now that Jonah has been forgiven, God begins to teach him how to be obedient by reinstating his task. And so every second chance has a second chance calling. You hear me on that? Every second chance is not just like, oh, God gave me a second chance. Praise God. He's, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. <laughs> okay? Because I'll tell you, that feeling and that emotion that comes with that, that wears off. Okay, listen to me. Every second chance has a second chance calling. The call to, to arise is the first thing that we see. Are you ready? Let's, let's tear this thing apart. Let's do it. And the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time saying, Arise, arise. The call to arise is the call to change your posture from one of defeat, stagnancy, and ineffect to one that is confident in the Lord, active and prepared. Okay, so Jonah's laying there on the sand Okay, I mean, I don't know what being in the belly of a whale for three days does to your body. But some people suggest that Jonah was probably bleached white from the acid inside of the, of the stomach of the whale. All right? His clothes were certainly ta- tattered. He smelt awful, right? And he's laying there in the hot sun on the beach. Okay? Things aren't good for him. But in that very moment of where he feels ragged and he feels the relief of forgiveness, okay, physically exhausted, completely ill-equipped, but forgiven, God says, arise. Arise. See, arise is a call to not be complacent. That's the first thing. You're going to see here several things. Arise is a call to not be complacent. See, when we mess up, forgiveness doesn't mean that you you have freedom to just chill now. See, God is in the business of making us joyous laborers in His harvest. And so whatever level that you can apply your hand to that work, forgiveness means you do that. So forgiveness is never bestowed to simply clear your conscience for self-gain. You know what that's like after, after a moment of repentance, you and your friends cry together, you pray out to the Lord, you, you get the forgiveness that you need, and there's this huge relief. You can't stay there. You can't stay there. 
See, forgiveness wasn't ever really about you. It was about God. It was about God. So as much as he loves you, being with him means arising and getting to God's work. See, we have to know that what we've been, that what we've been freed unto is God's work. We've been freed unto something. And we cannot just sit in our complacency and be happy with just being forgiven. We've got to move forward. So what else is arise? Arise is a call to not let past sins hold you back. Arise is a call to not let past sins hold you back. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with this passage. It gets used a lot. But I don't know how often you actually meditate on that idea. That when you fall, that if, that if you're full of faith, you're going to arise again. When you find yourself in a, in a position laid out and decommissioned, it is your job to arise that you might be recommissioned. If you stay there, then what you're doing is you're agreeing to move backwards. By staying there on the ground, you're agreeing that going backwards is still an option for you. And it's not an option. Going backwards is not an option. We cannot let our past sins hold us back and we cannot put ourselves in a position where our past sins are calling our name and provoking us and tempting us to return. Third, arise is a call to defy Satan and his world system. Arise is a call to defy Satan and his world system. You know, the one that you were controlled by. The one that you were in bondage to before. Standing up and posturing yourself in a ready way defies Satan to his face. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We're talking about warfare here. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And man, this is a great study, by the way, but, but standing is a posture of defense. Satan can't get to you as long as you're willing to stand. Oh, he'll knock you down, and you stand back up. He'll knock you down. It'll happen. Those moments will come, but you stand back up because it's a posture that defies Satan to his face. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand. See, the first mark of an obedient heart is a proper response to God's call to pick yourself up from a place of comfort and posture yourself for His work. And I do believe that this is where most people fail. They never get a chance to go because they never practice standing. 
They never get a chance to go because they, 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 they failed to practice what it means to stand when they get knocked down. We have to first stand. There's no going without standing first. Galatians chapter 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we see a direct correlation here between standing and refusing to go back to a place of bondage. I, I, I hope that's as powerful for you as it is for me. We must stand. We must arise. Key point. Number three. The first act of freedom is rising up to ready yourself. The first act of a person who's free is to arise, to stand up and ready yourself. Are you ready? I mean, some of you, you come and you're here and you're here at Kaya and you recognize the sinfulness of your past. And maybe you've repented. Maybe you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're in the process of dealing with past sins or difficulties or maybe past church experiences or religious experiences. You're trying to shed yourself of those things. And you are in a position where you're ready to move forward, but you can't do that unless you first stand. And for some of you, standing means signing up for discipleship. For some of you, it, it means responding to the call. Arise. Prepare yourself. Be prepared. The first act of freedom is rising up to ready yourself. Next is the call to go. So he says, arise. And then what he says in verse 2, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. Go. Going is a call to purpose. Going is a call to, to, to move into the purpose of Christ. The act of going means you have a place to go to and an objective to execute. You don't go for no reason. I mean, I don't anyway. If I'm going, I better be doing something. Otherwise, I just want to be sitting. When I get up from the couch, I'm going to get a snack. Yeah. I don't go to nowhere. I go to a place. And going is a call into purpose. And we'll get to the purpose, but, but going, we have to go in order to get to the place of purposeness. Going implies a mission. And we have a mission that we often neglect, y'all. Do you know what it is? It's called the Great Commission. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you haven't. The Great Commission, what is that? What does that mean? That's what Christians do, is the Great Commission. That's what we do. And so many of us, Neglect it, because we're busy doing other things, I suppose, like building funds. A building fund? Lots of churches are perpetually in a building fund, so they can make a bigger, better building, and they fail to build the people. That's what a lot of Christians are doing, right? A lot of Christians are getting together in small groups and they're hanging out and they refer to it as fellowship but what they really mean is friendship because fellowship implies that God is with you and friendship implies it's just y'all hanging out. I mean, many Christians are doing things. Do you hear what I'm saying? But we have a mission 
and we go to execute the mission. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came. This is, I don't know how to be any more clear than this. It's a fairly explicit passage. He's talking to his disciples, which means followers of Jesus. And he says in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Yes, please, thank you. I'll take that, please. Because there's no going without the power. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Your job, Christian, is to go and to teach other people the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might get saved, that they might be discipled and trained up, and that they might do the same for other people. That is your job and that's your responsibility. You arise to go into that work. And everywhere that you go, everywhere that you go, physically and spiritually, ought to be to that end. I mean, what are you busy with? We arise to go. It's not good enough just to stand there for the rest of your life. It's not good enough to just lay there on the beach. When you arise, you have somewhere to go. Going is a call to greater faith. That's the next little... There we go. Going is a call to greater faith. Jonah's faith was renewed after his incident in the great fish, was it not? His faith was renewed. See, when we understand who God is and His power and that He has chosen to use us, our faith will increase. Let's talk about a few examples of that, shall we? Okay, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. This is Moses talking. Remember, the murderer. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly, I will be with thee. That's God's words to, to, to Moses. Certainly, I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. I mean, Moses was thought to be useless. And here he is. His faith is being increased by God's word. His faith is being increased to enter into the mission, to go. Jeremiah 1.6, this might be familiar to you. We talked about this. This is what Dan preached at the retreat. Jeremiah 1.6 says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And great faith entered into Jeremiah. I mean, it would require great faith to to do what Jeremiah did. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the best story. But it required faith, and God was with him. Check this out. Acts chapter 9. I want to draw a correlation here. This is so good, guys. This is so good. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. This is Paul, right? The other murderer. And he journeyed. He came near Damascus, and suddenly... There shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth. This is his 
This is his belly of the whale moment. And heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What? Do you you often, like, do you read this, you think about what's being said here? This is Jesus saying to Paul, why are you persecuting me? I don't ever want Jesus to say that to me. I mean, that's what I think. Because I don't want to ever hear those words. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, "Who?" this is Paul speaking, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, he trembling and astonished, said, Listen to me. Listen to what he says. I mean, are, are, my question is, are you willing to say this from your place on the beach, laying there? He says, Lord... What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, what did he say? Arise. And go into the city. And it shall be told thee what thou must do. You know, the fact that God wants to give us a calling... And the fact that he tells us to go, the fact that he's given us the Great Commission and says, my power is with you, should build in us a faith that says, anything that you ask of me, God, I will do that thing. Anything you ask of me, I'm there. I will go. Third, going is a call to persistence. Going is a call to persistence. Going is acceptance that the journey itself will not be easy and it will be tiresome. Can anybody amen that? But regardless of the difficulty of the journey, you are determined to obey. If you look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, the second part, it says, Now Nineveh was an exceeding great, great city of three days' journey. So, this dude just spent three days in the, in the belly of a whale. And God says, Arise, go. And I want you to walk for three days in the desert. I mean, I don't know about you, but I physically would probably not feel very fit for that job. Like, can I build a campfire? Can I, can I eat a little something? I mean, can I get just a little sustenance would be good. Maybe a nap, right? But he travels. A three-day journey to a city with a diameter of seven square kilometers. The enclosed area had potentially as many as 400,000 inhabitants. God had a purpose. There's a people. Stand up. Go. Jonah was going to be obedient no matter what it took, and I wonder if we have that same kind of grit. I mean, Jonah was willing to be obedient to walk three days, but some of y'all can't walk across your classroom or your office to share the gospel. So I wonder how much grit you actually have. You don't have the grit to ask your coworkers to start a Bible study with you because you think you might get rejected. You don't have the grit to obey when God tells you that you're in sin. You ignore it. How much grit do you really have? This dude got up, after being spit onto the shore by a whale and traveled three days through the desert to get to where he needed to go. How much grit do you have? It's going to take some work. 
It's going to be tiring to follow Jesus. It's going to be difficult. Are you willing? So he says, arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and do what? And preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Preaching is the call for a willing mouth. Nothing? Nothing. Okay, so preaching is the call for a willing mouth. Okay. God, listen to me. God is in the business of readying the hearers. Nineveh, don't worry about Nineveh. I got Nineveh. You preach. See, we must pray for ready hearers. Because God loves to make a way among those that seem unreachable. Who are the unreachable people in your life? Are you praying that God would open those doors? You don't need to worry about the open door work. You don't need to worry about harvest. See, the harvest is ready for you. It's ready for you. It's already white. Your job is to go into labor. Your job is to preach. God told Isaiah that he had, that he had an audience for him. He just needed someone to preach. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth. The only thing I can ever think when I read that is, ouch. It sounds really painful. It must not have been. It worked out to his advantage. Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, hear ye indeed but understand not, and, ye, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Okay, what does he say? He tells Isaiah, look, I've prepared your lips, but I need someone to go. That's like saying, I see that you rose up, I see that you're standing there, I see that you're in a posture that's prepared. But now I need someone to go and to preach. And Isaiah's response is, send me. Send me. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him uh, him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? They're not talking about me, y'all. They're not talking about the pastor preaching. Romans is talking about you. About you. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the God. You know, feet are necessary for the preaching. Because you go with feet. There is a going. Then there's a preaching. There's a going and then there's a preaching. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You are to preach, and you must have a willing mouth. Uh, Send me. Send me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I know for a fact in this room, this room is full of really well-intentioned Christians who are failing every day to say to God, Send me. I just know it. And I love you. 
And I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for the work that God has called us to. I'm thankful for what he's doing in our midst. But you know what? We have only just begun. And I honestly believe that some of you are, you've arisen and you're going, but you need to tell God, send me today. Send me. I'll speak. And many of us, we're taking advantage of every opportunity that falls in our lap. Even the worst fisherman catches a fish from time to time. Don't pat yourself on the back. Send me, God. I'll go. I'll speak to people that I don't know. I'll introduce myself. I will, I will put myself in a position where I might be rejected. Just send me. I know you've prepared my mouth. I know you've given me the feet for going. Send me today. Give me an opportunity. When you wake up in the morning and you have your devotional time, do you ask God to give you one person to preach to? Preaching requires a powerful message. Preaching doesn't mean you get to preach the message that you have or your agenda. You know, too many of us carry a message of spirituality, a message of the value of church. A lot of you guys, you think you're witnessing when you talk about your church. Oh yeah, I go to church. Jesus is pretty cool. You know, Jesus, he's a, he's a unique God among all the other gods. Have you thought about that? You've got your little line that you say that introduces a person to the idea of spirituality but doesn't make them or call them to confront the truth of their position towards a highly, uh, holy and righteous God. You're not calling them and inviting them to study God's word to see it for themselves. You're not asking them to come be a part of truth We don't need them to come be a part of our church. They need to come be a part of truth that they might be set free from the bondage and the the oppression of the world that they might also arise and go. Preaching requires a powerful message and it's not your message. It's not the little thing that you like to say. It's not the the message of, hey, uh, do you know if you died today? Like, that has value. That has merit. But listen to me. The gospel is getting people to a place where they understand the value of who Jesus Christ is in light of who they are. And I don't care how you get there, but are you saying, send me? Because he's got a powerful message, and he wants to put the coal upon your lips. Are you willing to go? Preaching is the act of sharing God's message. It says, and preach Unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Not the, not the message that you got. We know, we know the message that you have, Jonah. It's not sufficient for the Ninevites. I have a message. It's specific. It's, specific. it's his will. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. And just as Jonah was given a second chance, God gives Nineveh a second chance by warning them of their sin. He's got a word for them, and it's going to cut them deep. Third, preaching requires a response. This leads us to the Ninevites. See, preaching, it requires a response. It demands one. Anytime you share the gospel or you share your faith, you share your testimony, it demands something from the hearer, either rejection or acceptance. But something is demanded. A response is necessary. Anytime preaching goes forth, there will be a response. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. 
it shall not it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Matthew ten thirty five. For I have come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter in law against her mother in law. In other words, his word does something. It does something. Even to the point where it divides homes. Even to the point where accepting who Jesus Christ is divides, puts people against one another. The Word of God is powerful, it's quick, and it divides. And it, de- it demands a response. Okay, so listen, this is how we're going to close. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. He did it. He arose and he went. Just as the, Lord, as the Lord asked him, unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what he said. That's what he said. Seven English words, four Hebrew words. That's what he said. That was his message, the one that God bid him to preach. He went, he preached it. It was simple. Now, we're going to talk about next week how Jonah's heart wasn't actually knit to the work. We'll talk about that. We'll get into it. We'll talk about the value of obedience. But I want to point something out to you. Nineveh received the message. Verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed, and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we will perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. Oh, See what we have here? We have repentance. They turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. See, God's plan for Jonah was to produce repentance and freedom and a right heart. That's what God's will was for Jonah. Why? Because God's plan for Nineveh was to produce repentance, freedom, and a right heart. Our final key point. That's our key prayer, sorry. It says this, God, please set me free to learn and live your heart's desire for the lost. See, the problem is that Jonah never really learned God's heart for the lost. Not in this story, anyway. He never really got it. He obeyed for the sake of obeying. And it produced fruit. Praise God. Obedience produces fruit. But obedience is also supposed to produce a right heart. We, want, we don't want to just obey God's will. We want God's will. We want it in our heart. We want His character to be our character. We want His desires to be our desires. We want to love the things that He loves. And guess what He loves? 
He loves souls. He wants them. And so what we see here, we had, a, we had a, the repentance of the mariners. We have the repentance of Jonah. And now we have a national repentance. Something like, this, this, again, the estimate is something like 400,000 people get saved in one day. There is no repentance like this anywhere else in Scripture. It doesn't even come close. There is no salvation record in the history of mankind that's any greater than the one that took place the day that Jonah decided to say four words in the midst of a wicked people. Now, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm saying this. I want you to listen very carefully. I really do want you to defeat depression. I really, really do desire for you not to be an apathetic person. I desire so greatly for you to get your heart and your mind right. But listen to me. Absent repentance and simple obedience, your heart and your mind will never get right. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Let's start by committing our works. And let our heart and our mind follow. If uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. As we enter into a, a, a short season of prayer and worship, if you recognize that it is time for you to obey God in any way whatsoever, let's do that. If you, if you say to yourself, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I've never been delivered, it's time, it's time to, to work that out. And you need to come and talk with someone. There'll be people standing up here. There'll be people in your, in your aisle that can help you. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first thing that needs to be taken care of. But next, for those of you who have believed on Jesus, what things are you holding back? I mean, he calls us to arise and to go and to preach. Where are you in that process? If we're not willing to take advantage of God's second chances for us, then I wonder if there is any hope for us ever being used by God. I mean, really, is it sufficient for you to just receive God's forgiveness and move on with what you are doing? I mean... What I'm getting at here is we're supposed to get back into Acts soon. And when we get back into Acts, we're going to see some of the most radical living that we've seen yet. And I desire that our ministry would be radical and look different than other Christian ministries. That we would be different. That we would not look Laodicean. That's going to require you asking hard and personal questions about where, what is your posture towards God and are you willing to go and are you willing to preach? Where are you at? Let's deal with that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We love your word. We cherish it. Even when there's, there's more than I could possibly get to in this story. Lord, we're thankful for what you gave us and, and we know that it's calling us to respond right now. Some of us need to make a decision 
to repent for the very first time, to turn away from ourselves and turn towards you and receive you as our Lord and Savior. Over the last few weeks of Kaya and, and, and this story, Lord, you have called people to salvation. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that there's others that would do the same, that they would see that they, they, they recognize that their sin has divided them and kept them separate from a holy God, and they want to get that right. Lord, we also pray for those of us who know you as our Savior, that, Lord, you would draw us out, that you would call us to rise up, that you would call us to go, and that you would call us to preach every single day of our lives, and that we would do it not just out of obligation to you, but out of a ready heart that loves and desires the things that you love. Teach us that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.